that was a real blessing for me to have Leanne standing right next to me because it drowns out my voice and all I hear is this wonderful. So it was really, really nice to have her right next to me. I could sing much louder and not worry about what mine sounds like because it's so beautiful next to me. So thank you both for for being here to help us with that this morning. Uh, As we begin today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what happened on the afternoon of the resurrection. I'll make a connection back with what we're actually talking about this morning. But if you know the story on the uh, the afternoon of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ, that that Sunday afternoon, uh, there were a couple men walking on a road outside of Jerusalem and they're walking along and they're discussing all that's just taken place. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. We often say that. It's a story. It's in Luke chapter 24. And these two men are walking and they're talking about all that's happened. And they're trying to figure it out. And they're going through all this stuff. And all of a sudden, a man comes up beside them and he starts walking with them. And they start to explain to him, well, it's Jesus that's walking along with them. But they don't know it at the time. And they're telling him. They're saying, all this stuff has happened. This guy came and we thought he was the Messiah. And he did miracles and he did all these things. But then he died And now there's stories that he's not in the grave and we don't know what to make of all this. And so they're walking along and they're talking and they're going through all this. And uh, so you kind of get the sense that they're just talking through this and really trying, struggling with it. And then finally Jesus speaks and he says to him, he says, and this is the the living Bible. This is kind of the paraphrase. But basically, man, you guys are dense. That's that's essentially what he says to him. What in the world are you talking about? And what he what he actually says is he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And what Jesus says to the two men as they're walking is essentially he says the whole Bible is about what just happened. All the prophets and Moses and all of this is about what just took place. How are you not seeing this? And it says as he's walking with us, he tells them that. And then he goes on to say, and it says in Luke 24, it says, and beginning with Moses And all the prophets he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so what it says, the Moses, Moses and all the prophets. Now, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So basically what he said is, is he started in Genesis and went all the way through and showed them all the things that point to Jesus. And he was telling them, how how do you not see this? And I can't help but wonder when I when I read that in Luke 24 of them walking down the road with Jesus and him going through that he didn't start with what we're going to look at today in Genesis, that he may, maybe that's where he started. And uh, so where we're going to be this morning is we're going to take and we're going to look at Genesis 3.15. Uh, we kind of glossed over that when we looked at Genesis 3 a couple weeks ago, and then we're going to look at that in connection with Genesis 12. And I think you'll see what I mean, why, why I say maybe Jesus started right there with him. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, we're doing a series called The Story. And what it is is a big, broad overview. We're kind of hitting big high points, looking at the the uh, big picture of Scripture. And what we've done the past few weeks is we've really spent the last four weeks in Genesis 1 through 11. And uh, what we've been doing is, is setting up, really, to the in a lot of ways, the story of the Bible, the main story, the narrative arc that runs through, in a lot of ways, starts right at the beginning of Genesis 12. Uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite chapel speaker ever when I was in seminary was a guy named Ralph Winter that came. And I didn't know who he was at the time. He was apparently a big deal that he came. And it turned out that Ralph Winter had done all kinds of wonderful stuff for missions. And he'd helped develop the walk through the Bible curriculum. And he'd done all this great stuff. And he came. And I still remember him so vividly saying we should. Uh, he talked about how we should print the Bible as a book. 
And he said, the reason we should do that, he said, we should print the Bible as a book. And he said, I know this is a book. He said, but we should print it as, as chapter one and chapter two and, and not 66 books, but see the whole story. And, and what he explained was, he said, the way we should do it, he said, if we were to do it like that, Genesis 1 through 11 could be the prologue. And then Genesis 12, chapter 1, would be, that would be chapter 1, starting with Genesis 12. And that's where the story begins. And, and that stuck with me for so long because it's important. It's so, uh, you see all of, of Scripture unfolding here at the beginning of Genesis 12, where this is going in this picture. And we're going to connect it back to Genesis 3.15. Like I said, I kind of glossed over that a few weeks ago on purpose because I wanted us to make the connection of Genesis 3.15 with Genesis 12. So that's what we're going to do this morning, and I want us to bridge that gap. And uh, just candidly, as we begin this morning, this is one of my favorite things to look at uh, the beauty of the promise of Christ right there at the beginning and looking at it running all the way through Scripture. I really love, uh, I just remember the first time I ever heard someone show this to me and thought about it in this way that I was so overwhelmed by this. So I'm very excited about this lesson and what we're seeing in these passages. So let's read Genesis 3.15 together and then we're going to look at uh, Genesis 12.1-4. to Let me set up for you, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago or maybe you have trouble remembering back that far, When we went through Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they've decided that they're not going to trust God. They say, no thanks, we'll go out on our own, we'll do our own thing here. And and immediately as they do, sin enters the world and they know it. And they know they're naked and they know something's wrong and they hide from God. And he comes and he addresses them. And the way it goes is he addresses the serpent, which we said was Satan. Satan is the one that tempts Adam and Eve. He addresses first the serpent serpent and then Eve and then Adam. Well, Genesis 3.15 is right in the middle of that address. This is God speaking to the serpent or Satan. And he says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that's the first part. So just hold, hold on to that for a second. We'll come back to it in a second. Now, I want you to jump ahead with me to Genesis 12. Last week, we ran through basically Genesis 4 through 11, which what we said was, God, the fall happened in Genesis 3. Genesis 4 through 11, we see the spread of evil. We see the spread of sin all throughout the world. And as you follow through those chapters, that's what you see. You see murder. You see the flood. You see people turning their backs on God. You see all these things. You get to the Tower of Babel, and it's showing that all the nations, all the people, are all about their own glory in Genesis 11. And it's this big picture, right? You've got... You're seeing it in nations. And then all of a sudden you open to Genesis 12 and God's story zeroes in on one man. And his name's Abram, which will later be changed to Abraham. We know him as Abraham. But God addresses him. So we zero down. And that's where we are in Genesis 12. And God says this to Abram. And it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at those two together and and the connections that it makes for for this whole story of, of Scripture unfolding. So let's pray first. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in it. We thank you that 
as, as we see this morning, immediately as we turned our backs on you, you were already making provisions to go on mission to draw us back, and we thank you for that. We pray that we would see clearly today your hand moving through all of history, that all of it is about you and your story and what you're doing, that we see uh, Christ even here in the very first pages of the Bible. I pray that we would see that clearly and it would bring us to a more full understanding of who you are and the way you love us and how glorious and magnificent you are. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So three things I want us to see as we look at these two passages in connection together this morning. And I'm going to say it like this. The first part I want us to see is God is mission. And what I mean by that is, is mission originates with God. This whole story of him coming after us originates with him. That's the first part. The second part is how does he fulfill his mission And then the third part, how can we be involved? Or what does it mean for us today? So first, God is mission. Second, how does he fulfill his mission? And then the third part, how can we be involved in that today? So let's start with the first part that God is mission. And what we get when I say the story begins in a lot of ways in Genesis 12 is that that God's rescue mission for creation, when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and put everything out of whack, right? They, They totally messed up the plan. And so God immediately jumps to start. And what you see even in Genesis 3.15 and then picked up here in Genesis 12 is that God's coming to fix it. He's not going to leave it broken and messed up. He's immediately jumping into action. You see it in Genesis 3.15. And what we see in Genesis 3.15, however vague it may be at first, is God immediately turns and he addresses the snake and he says, there will be enmity between you and the woman and her offspring is going to crush your head. So there is going to be a seed that comes through this woman that will eventually do away with evil and suffering and all the things that go along with it. And so God makes that that, uh, claim right there at the beginning. And what you see as we start to see right at the beginning is that God is, is coming to fix this, that he's initiating the mission to come and fix the problem. The rescue plan starts right there in Genesis 3.15. And although it's vague right there at the beginning, all we know is it's through the woman's seed that this is going to happen. In Genesis 12, it starts to narrow a little bit and we start to see it just a little more clearly. And what we get in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is he tells Abram, he says, To go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And at the end of verse 2, so that you will be a blessing. And then he gets to the very end and he says, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what we get here at the very beginning is that God's coming out to start this plan to fix everything. And now we saw what we see just a little glimpse of in Genesis 3.15. We get a clear picture with Abraham. Right. He had told Eve it's going to come through your seed. Then we get to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. And so we start to narrow down to this one man that's going to, it's all this plan is coming from. And so what we get is God is the originator of mission. Mission starts with him. That's who God is. He is coming out to save, to redeem his good creation. And he doesn't just leave us when we, when we turn our backs on him and we reject him. There was a guy, uh, a German missiologist that wrote in the 1930s, and his name was Karl Hartenstein, and he, he came up with this uh, term called the Missio Dei, if you've ever heard of that before. And what he, he was a theologian, 
and a missiologist, and what he said was that God is mission, the missio day, that God is a missional God, or he's the sending God. That's literally what missio day means, a sending God, that God is the one who sends out. And when we take that in the context of Scripture, and even what we see here in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 12, that it emphasizes that God is the initiator of this message to redeem creation. Missions and evangelism and going out and telling and doing all those things are not something that the church came up with. It started with God all the way back right here at the beginning. God is the initiator of this plan. And he's the sending, that's what the missio day means. He's, he's the mission or he's the sending out God. And what we see here even at the beginning is we see with Eve, it's going to come through your seed. And then more clearly with Abraham, he tells Abraham, pick up and move and go because I'm going to send you out and I'm going to do a great thing through you. So even at the beginning, you see God sending Abraham out. The sending God, the Missio Dei, sends him out. And it's where his, his uh, rescue mission starts. We see it right there at the beginning in Genesis 12. And he's telling him that through you, he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what we get is this picture of Abraham's seed. And that God's the one that's sending out. That's, uh, this is so foundational to how we see missions and how we see evangelism and how we see telling and going out and spreading God's word that it starts with God. Uh, if you go, um, if you pick up one of our doctrine statement things out in the lobby or you go to the church website, you'll see at the top that it says we are Christian, we are evangelical, we are reformed, and we are missional. And missional comes from the God is mission. He's the originator of mission, that he's going out to redeem all his creation and we as the church are supposed to be involved. That's a huge part of what we're to be. And that's why we say it that way. That's why that's one of the main headings and why we talk about it and why it's in our doctrine statement and all those things because that's part of what we're to be because that's who God is. So the very first part I want us to see this morning is that God is mission. It's part of his very being of who he is that he is the sending God. So that's the first part. But then the second part leads us to how does he fulfill his mission? How does God do this? And you see it in Genesis 3.15, it's the seed of the woman. And in Genesis 12, you start to see that it's through Abraham's seed and he's going to use Abraham's family. He sends him out and says, I'm going to do all these great things through you. So what you start to see is God chooses to use Adam and Eve, right? Think, even just think about that in Genesis 3.15. Here Adam and Eve have sinned. They've decided not to trust God. We've been saying every week that sin is ignoring God and the world that he created, which is exactly what they did. He said, don't do this, and they immediately did that, right? So they decided to ignore God and the world that he created. But immediately God says, I'm going to fix this problem of you turning, and I'm going to use you, Eve, you who just decided to turn your back on me, I'm going to use through your seed all the way down. Your descendant is going to come the Savior. And we see with Abraham where God calls Abraham out and he says, go and I'm going to use you and use your family. And so the first part we get to see on how God fulfills his mission is he chooses to use man to fulfill his mission. He chooses to use us in that. And it's an it's a incredible thing to think about that God doesn't need us in any way. Right? We talked about that the very first week. God is all-sufficient. He's perfectly joyful. He has all that he needs in and of himself in the Trinity. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to accomplish his things. But he chooses to use us. So the first part we see of this, how does he fulfill his mission, is he chooses to use us in it. And you see this picture all the way through Scripture of God using men 
and women to, to, uh, to go out and, and to fulfill his mission and to spread his word. And what you see over and over in scripture is the same thing you see here with Abraham. Right? Abraham comes face to face with God. God speaks to him and he is changed and he goes out. You see the same thing uh, with Moses in the burning bush. Or you see, see the same thing with Isaiah. Or you see the same thing in Jeremiah and in Peter. And all the way down, all through scripture, God speaks and he tells people and then they are sent out. They go out. And God chooses graciously to condescend to us, to use us as part of that mission. And he welcomes us in and then sends us out and he allows us to be part of it. So the first part is God fulfills his mission by choosing to use people. And we see that at the very beginning with Eve and now with Abraham. The second part, though, is he not only chooses to use people, but then I want to ask, how does he use us? How does he use people in his mission? And you see in verse two, when he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And the picture that we get throughout scripture is that God calls people out and they come face to face with him and they're changed by who he is. And then he sends them out to be a blessing. Right. So so what we get here, what it is, is that God blesses us so that we are a blessing. Right? He uses and changes us and then sends us out in that way. And that's what you see with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. And all these are great things are going to happen so that you will be a blessing. Right? So he uses, he chooses to use people. And then the way he uses us is he uses us by blessing us so that we turn around and bless, bless others. And you begin to see that, that, uh, He's going to do great things and he gives you things. And even if you think of it in a much bigger way, God blesses you so that you can bless others. Anything that you do good for anybody else came from God. Right? He blesses you so you bless so any good thing that's in you. Anything that you can offer somebody else was a gift from God to begin with. So our blessing, he blesses us so we can bless others. And that's the way he chooses to use people. So he uses people and then he sends us out. Gives it, blesses us so that we bless others. But that doesn't get to the fullness of this at all, really, because that just is talking about how he does it and how he chooses to use us. But then the question comes, but what is the blessing? What is ultimately the blessing here? I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you bless others, so that the world, all the, the uh, people of the world will be blessed. And when you read this and you start to go through and we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, if you talk about that in a Bible class or a study and Oftentimes we say uh, the four parts of the Abrahamic covenant are people, nation, land, and then the blessing. And we talk about the, the people, great number of descendants in the land that God's going to give Israel a specific land and that they're going to be a great nation and all those things. And those are all wonderful things that God chooses to use Abraham to do. He does all these parts. And, and by the way, as you walk through scripture, as you go through this, you see God faithfully uh, fulfill each and every part of this all the way through. He tells Abraham, I'm going to do these things, and then he does it. And you see that all the way through. But the problem is when we make it all about the people, the land, and the nation, we miss the hugeness of, of what's really going on here. And by the way, when you look at the fulfillments of these, right? God says, I'm going to give you a great number of descendants. Under Moses, when they come out of Egypt, right? The, the Israelites that have gone off to Egypt, when they come out of Egypt under Moses, there's two to three million Right? So here's from Abraham's seed to two to three million coming out of Egypt. And you see that 
uh, right there in Exodus. And then if you go a little bit further in Joshua, Joshua takes over and he takes them into the land and they take the land that God's promised to Abraham. And it says God gave Israel all the land that he swore to their fathers, that not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. So you see him give them the land. Right? He promises here, I'll make you a great nation. Under Solomon, you see Israel become the greatest nation in the world. Right? So they, they ascend, and you see straight through Scripture when you walk through all these things that are promised in the Abrahamic covenant just coming true one after another. It unfolds throughout Scripture. But you get to the last part, really. What's the main part of this uh, blessing that he's talking about? He does fulfill the literal physical parts, but there's also a much greater spiritual part. There's something much bigger and greater there. When he says, I will bless the world, or or as he says, in you all the families of earth will be blessed. All people are going to be blessed through this promise. Is God talking about specific nation or specific place on the map or a specific these things? And yes, he, he does all those things, but that's not ultimately what he's talking about. The key is right there in verse 3 when he says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God will later clarify that in Genesis 15, just a couple chapters later, when he says, It's your offspring I'm talking about, Abraham. It's not just all these people in this nation and all this stuff, but it's this specific offspring. And what he's showing him is he's going to do something much greater than just a nation or just making them a great nation and lots of people and all those things. But it's coming through his seed in the fullest extent is what God is saying to even Abraham right here at the beginning of Scripture is I'm going to save the world through your seed. And you say, well, what exactly is he talking about? Well, Paul tells us exactly what he's talking about in Galatians 3. And it's all through the New Testament, but Galatians 3, I can't think of a more clear place that it happens. And Paul says this. This is Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. What Paul tells us that right there at the beginning, when God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. In you, all the families will be blessed. He's talking about Jesus Christ coming through his line way on down. And Paul says he wasn't talking about all the the offsprings, plural, lots and lots of people. He was talking about one specific person, and it's Jesus. And so right here, even in the beginning of the story, right here in Genesis 12, when we open it up and we get this Abrahamic covenant, is Christ. It's all about him, even at the very beginning. That's what Genesis 3.15 is talking about. Through the seed of the woman who will come and who will crush the snake. It's talking about Christ even in Genesis 3. And then it's picked up here in Genesis 12. See, when we make it all about people and land and nation and all the different things, we overshadow what it's really about, which is Jesus. Even there at the beginning. See, Israel, God chose a people and he chooses Israel. And he does all these things and he blesses them and he gives them a nation and all those stuff. But what we need to see is Israel is the channel through which the Savior is going to come. That was never the ends. That was the means. It was the way that God was getting to the Savior. It's the way he was coming. See, God uh, was using a people, a specific people in a specific place at a certain time in different ways. And through that, down through the ages and through the years, comes Christ. But it was always about Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we just throw out Israel and say, well, God says he's graciously going to bring some back into the church 
in Romans 11, which is a wonderful, beautiful picture that God is, is a God of promises and he says he's going to welcome them back and bring them back into the fold and they will be part of the true church in Christ. He says that in Romans 11. But I want us to see that this Abrahamic covenant, this whole thing was always completely and totally about Christ. And that's the way it was moving and the way it comes. And so what we get when we see this, and this is so foundational to what we see and how we see Scripture. See, it's the grid through which we look at all Scripture that God was always moving towards Jesus. That was always the plan. It was always about Christ's coming. It was always about God sending out to come redeem his creation. And he was always going to do it through Christ. Uh, one of my favorite professors way back, uh, Edmund Clowney, used to say that the moment Adam and Eve sinned, that all of human history from that point on became about Jesus Christ. The second that everything was pointing towards to him. The moment, because God turns and he says, through your seed, I'm going to bring this through your seed that's going to crush the, the serpent's head. So we see that all the way through. So let me just give you, this helps me, maybe do what you want with it, but it helps me to put in perspective the big idea of Scripture. What we saw the first couple of weeks, Genesis 1 and 2, we have creation and our purpose. And then Genesis 3, we see the fall. Genesis 4 through 11 is the spread of sin. It gets worse and worse. But then starting in Genesis 12, all the way till Christ, is what we call the channel of salvation. The way that God is coming through and you follow it all the way through and these promises pop up one after another throughout the Old Testament. God reiterates these promises over and over and he refines them and he makes it clearer and clearer. He'll, 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 uh, he'll reiterate it several times to Abraham and then he gets to David and he'll tell David and then you get to the prophets and they start to get a clearer picture and a clearer picture and it's all the channel that God's moving towards to get to Christ. So I want you to see that the way God moves and what he's using, what leads to fulfill his mission, it's all ultimately Jesus. Right? So what do we do? How can we be involved? What does that do for us today when we read Genesis 12? We can say, yeah, that's really neat. That, that's kind of cool. But even at the very beginning, God was starting and it was all moving towards Christ. But there's a couple things that I want us to see for us today. It's not just a neat story of something that happened to Abraham. It helps to... Uh, guide us and show us clearly what our story is and the way we fit in. And the first part I want to say, this real uh, clear and concisely, if you're not a believer, maybe you hear this and you go, oh, that's kind of neat. That's something to think about. Maybe, maybe God at the beginning, maybe there is a God and maybe that's happening at the beginning or whatever and you're trying to sort through those things and you're not really sure. What do you take out of this today when I say Genesis 12 is God already pointing ahead to Christ? And what I want you to hear is, that God is after you and he wants you back. That all of history is God coming to redeem his creation and that includes you. And he wants you to be welcomed back. He wants you to put your faith in him and what he's doing through his chosen Savior, Jesus. And that's what all of history is about. So that's the first part. If you haven't made that decision, you're not to that point yet. I ask you to, to, to consider that this morning, that all of this, this whole story starting all the way back at the beginning is pointing toward God coming down to us to bring us back, to redeem this creation. But if you are a believer this morning and you sit here and you say, yeah, I believe this and I've chosen to follow Christ and I know him. So this, this, then this becomes a little different for you. I want you to think about this, that God himself 
is mission. It originates with God. He's the sending God that comes to get us. So if you're a Christian and you put your faith in Christ, that means you've been reconciled to God, and then he puts his very spirit inside of you. Right? The promise is the Holy Spirit now comes and lives in you. So that means the God who is mission, the sending God that goes out for his good creation, now lives inside of you. You understand what that means? Do you see how huge that is when you think about it? That means you are sent. You're to get out. You're to go. You have him living inside of you, and that's what you were made to be. You're to go out for his glory. We've been saying that each week. We were made to reflect who God is. Well, God is mission. God is going out to redeem, and he wants to use you in that. So if you have him living inside of you, you're sent. It means you're supposed to go. Just like Abraham, God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. You come into contact with the Savior, the creator of the world, and you see him for who he is, and now you have the opportunity to go tell others. Because he's living inside of you and you know it. And you have this to share. So the first part means that you're sent. But the second part of that, and it's the more practical part of that, uh, where the rubber meets the road, is it simply means that you're to get out. Even today, you're supposed to go out. You think about Abraham. Here is Abram walking one day, walking along, minding his own business, and God says, Abraham, I've got a plan for you, but I want you to move from where you are, from your family, and go to this land that you don't even know about. You don't have a clue what's going on, and I want you to go here because I'm going to use you to bless the world. That, no, no, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean you have to move from here. That doesn't mean you have to go somewhere else or you have to be gone. But what, what it does mean is that God, when we come face to face with him, we're changed and he sends us out, and that means we're to take risks. We're to start to look for ways to spread his glory and to step outside of our comfort zone. Think about that for just a second. When we get, uh, or Jesus would say it this way. It's in John chapter 20. Jesus with the disciples after the resurrection, they're hiding out, they're scared, and he comes to them and he says, just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Think about how huge that statement is that Jesus says. How did the Father send Jesus? Jesus gave up everything he had in complete glory in perfect harmony, everything with God the Father and emptied himself and came to us to lay his life down for others. Even as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Do you see what that means? All that you have, go out and give it away. Be a blessing to others because of what I've given you. You follow that? You see how huge that is that he sends us out. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And when we deny that and we go, oh, I'm good with what I've got and I'm glad God's blessed me and my personal salvation, I'm set and I'll just hole up and be okay. We're denying, we're not only not listening to God's clear commands, we're denying who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ is to go out. God is the sending God. He sends us out. So the picture here is that we're supposed to be going out and telling others and being there. See, we worship a God who is on mission for this world. He's coming to redeem his creation and bring it back. And he graciously invites us to be a part of it. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And he invites us into it. 
And the neat part here is that when we do, when we step outside of our comfort zone and we start to do the things that he's called us to do, there's a joy that comes with that that can't be found in anything else. And the reason it can't be found in anything else is because it's what you were created for. It's the way you were made to be. And when we deny that, we go, ah, it's okay, I'm not... That might, they might laugh at me if I say something. Right? We're, we're denying what he made us... We're, we're cutting off what God wants for you because of our petty little things. And he's saying, no, I want you to get out. So as you leave today... This is a great way to end. As you leave today, get out! <laughs> Go! And love people in the way that Christ has loved you. Tell others. Look for opportunities. Be creative in the way you do it. It doesn't have to look... It's going to look different for every person in here. But uh, there's a great quote, and I don't remember exactly how it says it, but it's in your uh, bulletin today from Spurgeon. And he says, Every Christian is either a missionary or they're an imposter. And that's the truth. Because of who God is and what He's put in us when He changes us. So you are sent out. All right? So I'm going I'm to end that way. So get out. All right? Let's get out and go tell. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the beautiful picture that is all through Scripture of your uh, being the sending God, the one who comes out to redeem. That this whole story, all of it is about you and your good works and your beautiful creation and all that you've given us. But ultimately, all of that just points us back to you and how wonderful you are. We can't thank you enough that even in our rebellion that you still come after us, that you are on a rescue mission for all things, for this creation, that you want to draw people uh, to you that love you and see you for who you are. I pray that you would use this body, that you would use these individuals here today, that you would give us a desire and a heart to be a blessing, that we would begin to, uh, to glorify you in that way, that we would reflect back your very character of being uh, on mission, that we would, we would join you in that. We would align to what you would have for us. I pray that you'd give us creativity in doing so. I pray that you'd give us a great love for our community and our neighbors, that we would just be so excited to explain and tell and love others in the way you've loved us. We thank you for all you do for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.